I know I'm not the ideal image when people think about an Afghan woman, but I think that's what I'm trying to break is there is no ideal image for an Afghan woman. There is no ideal image for a Muslim woman. This is the ideal image for me. And that's all we're going to talk about. It, it's me. It's you can have your preferences, but that's your preferences. And someone's opinion is not a fact. Thank you for sharing it. And I'll share mine and we can agree or disagree. But at the end of the day, there has to be a common respect of allowing each other to just express ourselves. So Isaba Sarabi Faraz, thank you for coming on our show today and bringing along with you your experiences of what you've gone through from the early days of being an Afghan immigrant young girl to America and your evolution to making huge changes in places like LinkedIn for professionals, that entire story and all of the, the trials and triumphs along the way. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, so thank you so much, Mohammed, for having me. I'm super duper excited to not only share my story, but hopefully share some tips and tricks for those who are just having internal battles with themselves and how they can change not only society, but change, you know, things around them. And that includes, you know, attracting people, places, opportunities. So I'm really excited to just kind of share that story and hopefully, you know, shed some light on the challenges of wanting to be yourself. Yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story. In fact, I've, I've even heard once to say, you know, you can't change the world. You know, you can only change yourself. And it's amazing in your, in your effort to go and really just change yourself. Look at everything that you're doing. And just, again, I, I, I'm just so glad that you're able to join us today. Thanks again for coming in and sharing the story. I think this is maybe the first time I'm, I'm actually speaking, speaking with you. In the past, it's been like just, you know, messaging on LinkedIn, right? What a world. Uh, I know we've come far from LinkedIn. We have, I think we have, and I just wanted, like, I mean, before usually somebody comes on, I I get some time, right? We get like about we get a few minutes just to really chat about some some background thoughts, right? And really prep ourselves into really kind of getting into that mode for you know our actual dialogue or conversation that we're gonna have. So so just to take a few minutes on that, I. I want to, I definitely want to get to know you a little bit better and then really try to get a better understanding of, you know, like I reacted to, I thought, well, what I thought was an amazing post and a very different looking post that you did on LinkedIn. That's a while back. So it, to me, what I recall of it was that it had to do with like professional, the professional environment and headshots and showing or not showing tattoos am i recalling this correctly it was yes it was just a headshot that i uploaded you know just not really thinking anything of it but it essentially was just that it was just a new linkedin headshot there was nothing i think that in my opinion was like oh this is definitely a call out it just was i just didn't wear my blazer and i had tattoos and i uploaded a headshot so okay well okay let's let's maybe Think about that for a second, guys. So you never really wanted to go out there and make a statement, get on this mission to change the world. No, I'm far from somebody who I think thrives in that type of like sunlight. I'm very much like would much rather not have the sunlight. Um, but it it just was like I think so much was happening in not only my personal but also professional life. You know, I'm an Afghan woman, so you know all that stuff that had recently happened in Afghanistan about I would say two to three years ago. I think just kind of added on to this 
persona that I think I had been living with just being an uh, immigrant child from Afghanistan in the USA. And I just figured, you know, enough is enough. I'm no longer hiding who I am. I'm not going to Americanize my authentic name pronunciation. This is who I am. There was definitely lots of obstacles. I think lots of fear before I finally decided to, you know, make that. But I just wanted to pretty much just go on LinkedIn and say, you know, hey, this is me. This is what I look like. We all work in Zoom. We all work remotely. But behind what you see in Zoom from, you know, like shoulders up, this is me. And you can't change that. And it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm capable of doing my job. And so I just uploaded it, went to bed thinking, you know what, I'll get like three likes in the morning, call it a day, not thinking anything. And it truly did blow up. It blew up, I think, in a way that I never would have imagined or just in a way that I think would really resonate with folks that had so many similar challenges. I mean, the stuff that I even now I read back on it, I'm just so shocked and amazed that just a simple post triggered this like huge movement on LinkedIn. Yeah, like there's two sort of separate things there that you talk about. One is, you know, we're on LinkedIn and everyone on LinkedIn is obviously it's using it as a as a professional, you know, form of social media. And we're there to be known and be seen. And then there's a question of how do we want to be known and how do we want to be seen? And and there's this underlying, you know, obviously theme of keep it professional. And, you know, now that I think about it, it is going back actually three years ago where just globally, our heads were in like different places maybe than they were today. So take us back there if you can. And maybe even before that, because you said you're an, you're an immigrant, you came here from Afghanistan. What was what was that experience like? Because that I think all leads up to the that final decision, you know, like when you were leaving Afghanistan, do you remember how it was when you were leaving? How old were you? I was really tiny, honestly. I, I think I was maybe under a year old when it happened. So I don't recall much of it. I do recall most of my life, I think, post that. It's just kind of growing in the US. So leaving it again, I don't remember. It was, I was a couple months old. We first immigrated from Afghanistan to Pakistan. And then we finally came to the US of Pakistan. I think it was like a little three, four year old press hold, placeholder until we were able to like get all our papers. So I don't remember much about kind of leaving, but I remember a lot about growing here as an African-American. Right. right. So you came here to America. America is like the first place you have like real memories of. And do you feel like, and I have a lot of like a lot of friends, people I actually uh, train with who are from Afghanistan. And what I love about people from Afghanistan is no matter how long ago they left Afghanistan, they they really hang on to their culture. I feel like really well. They speak their language. Their food is the you know food is culture, right? So uh, the food is the food, right? But they hang on to their language. Did you find yourself in America? And America is like you know when you're growing up there, you're American or you're. It sometimes feels like you're not. It's either you are or you're not. How did you sort of first? What were your sort of first, you know, ways in which you identified yourself or felt that you were identified? Great question. In, in true authentic and transparency, Mohammed, I definitely want to say 100% and, you know, not very proud statement, definitely masked my culture and identity growing up in Afghanistan. Like you mentioned, you're either American or you're not. And then you add in all the different, you know, uh, cultural adjustment, the processes, family and community, even post 9-11. I think that definitely molded and shaped how I think identified um, so growing up, not a lot of people knew about where I was from. I didn't really 
go embracing my culture. I didn't really speak the language. I tried very hard to, you know, only speak English. I Americanized my name. I only hung around with folks that didn't have a lot of culture tied to them or weren't very like immersed in their culture. Um, so there was a lot of clashes, I think, just within my own self growing up on my own personal identity of do I really identify as an Afghan? What parts of my culture or even religion is important to me? And what parts am I, you know, quote, Americanizing? It was a lot. Uh, you know, I, I challenged, there was challenges, obstacles. I think the main thing to your point, Mohammed, and I think that cultural piece is part of it, is that identity and cultural preservation is we do a lot to not only uh, keep those, but also create spaces to host, you know, our other growing, like, things we pick up here. So it was a challenge growing up. I think that shaped how I showed up at work. It showed up how I did my job, how I communicated. And again, I credit a lot of, you know, my embraceness back to my roots to the past two years is kind of having that awakening. And um, as a mom now, I think now I understand the importance of my heritage, my culture, and why it makes me who I am. And I, I think also it made me more empathetic towards my parents and everyone else who's going through, you know, a renowned identification, whether that's immigrating from a different country to the US or a different country to a different place. It's we go through a lot and there aren't a lot of handrails or guardrails to really help us on this is how you adjust. This is the language. These are the new norms. I mean, you throw a strict Muslim Afghan family. I'm one of nine Mohammed. So I've eight other siblings and you throw us into America. They okay, got it. Yeah, great. So, you know, we, we were like thrown in and we're like, okay, this is all, you know, nine of us, my parents, you kind of, you know, so we honestly, it was survival. Whatever helped each nine of us survive, we did it. And whether that meant we Americanized a name, that meant we dropped names, that meant we went through nicknames. It At that point, our family was, what can you do to survive in America? And our parents were first, you know, they didn't speak the language. So we were also helping our parents navigate through those challenges. You know, that's, that's what I find is so amazing is that you know what? There's no book on it, right? Mm -hmm. How to come to America from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And when you write that, even if you someone were to write that book, do you write it as an Afghan? Do you write it as a American? What are the things that are most important to one person might be, you know, a different for another person. Mm -hmm. So, and then what I find really amazing about your, your, now your experience as I get to know it better is, that, you know, while we're going through this as children, because I came to Canada when I was very, very young as well, not at that age, I was a little bit older, but it's not like we're sitting there going, so what do I identify myself as, you know? And so what am I going to do now? Like a lot of these things happen very on a maybe subconscious level, sublime level. Everything is just kind of like happening in real time, as they say. So we're not necessarily sitting there and having meetings about it and making checklists, pros and cons. We're your kid. You know, so, so you look around you and what does a kid look around and say, you know, that they're going to use to identify them? Is your family really that you look at, which is in transition and making decisions based on, you know, adapting or surviving in this sort of new environment. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it was one of those moves necessarily for an Afghan family. If I understand it correctly, and, and please like shed light on this, it's not like you were moving from Afghanistan to America is like, yeah, oh yeah, I have uncles there, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna settle down there. It was it was sometimes a move that wasn't necessarily you know planned from earlier on, and this is what we're gonna do. It was just, you know, circumstance, right, that led to that. No. Yeah. So 
So you're not sitting there consciously making these decisions. And so now that if you look back and you mentioned, you kind of like hinted at this earlier when you were speaking, but there's certain things that we sometimes look at to help us with our identity. And, and you mentioned some of that like nowadays, but when you think back, you went to school, right? There's the playground, there are friends. Yeah, there's family and siblings. What do you remember standing out to you as now when you look back in moments where you might have said to yourself, hey, yeah, sure, I, I want or, or I want or I need to identify this way, right? It wasn't necessarily like I want to. It was more like I need to. And then what were those things that kind of like, you know, you, that you formulated in your mind to say, yeah, so I, I'm going to change this specific thing, like, or these specific things. Should, can you take us back to that? Yes. You thought about this. I have, and I think I've built my whole, I, and I think I still continue to kind of mold myself and kind of relearn myself. Growing up, True. you know, as I mentioned, I didn't have, I think, the most mentors. I didn't grow up in an environment that had a lot of cultural diversity where I had other people, you know, in schools that looked like me, that understood my culture, that understood what it what it means to not speak English, to wear different clothes, you know, to come to school smelling like one, two, or like something that's not, you know, perfume. So I want to say I credit a lot on two people in my life who've outside of family who's really helped, I think, hold my hand. And no matter how many times I changed my identity or I was very lost, these two people really helped me kind of ground myself. And it's my, I'd say my two good best friends, and I'm still best friends with them till this day. I've known them for about 20 years. So they've kind of known me from a lost girl in like elementary school that didn't understand who she was, didn't understand English never really made a lot of friends, but also was very afraid of making friends to um, now these two women in my life that no matter where I struggled, they were like, hey, you know what? English is hard. Here, we'll help you. You know, they took it upon themselves, I want to say, to really just help me out of the good of their own heart. And mind you, we're like nine, 10 years old. And they were just like, you're new. We want to help you. And it formed a lifelong love and friendship that I cherish still this day. And even now, if I'm feeling lost, I'll go to them. So I, outside of my family, they, those were the two folks because I didn't have a handbook. I didn't know what English was. I didn't know what the American culture was, what the norms were. And anytime I had a cultural shock, they would stop me and say, this is normal. This is not normal. This is how you navigate. Or they would tell me, hey, pause, how does this make you feel? In true reality, when I look back, they were like my mini therapist growing up because they were there. And I think vice versa, I was there for them. It's like, oh, you know, as somebody who's new to this, you know, world, this doesn't sound right. And we were able to kind of help each other. And growing up, that's what we did is each time one of us struggled with our identity, with our culture, we honestly had authentic conversations, Muhammad, of like, well, what does identity mean to you? You know, what does culture mean to you? And we had these conversations really young. And I don't know if that's because we were forced to grow up, right? We are all people of, we're women, we're women of color, we are women who belong to families that not everyone went to college that got immersed in this culture. So I think because we were forced to grow up so soon, it changed and shifted our mindsets where we weren't really playing with Barbies and baby dolls. We were like, how do we survive? And how do we help each other survive? Because we don't have anyone. We don't have uncles and aunts and cousins to you know go and like have a bad day. We only had each other. So yeah, I would say those two women till this day, they have helped me through every single challenges, identity crisis of my life. Um, until this day, they continue on to just be that backlog for me. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's great that you give credit to to people along the way. And I I, I feel every story I've heard, there's always there are always these like, you know, I won't call them angels, really that are that that we're surrounded by, that we're blessed to have. And one way or the other, we're looking for them, and they're looking for us, and yeah. somehow along the path, they're there. Mm-hmm. Were they? Were they? I'm just curious now. Are, were they from Afghanistan? Were they were like were they local? How did you meet them? I met them in school, elementary school, and it was just one of those like walking in the lockers. You know, I mean, I'd, not to be a sappy, sad person, but I would always just be there by myself, and I would eat lunch by myself. I would just sit by myself, and they just one day picked it up and um so one of them her name is sonia she's colombian and then the other one her name is fiorella and she's peruvian um so they're not afghan definitely again two different cultures but i think there was that similarities of us three of us you know trying to survive trying to navigate elementary school and middle school and high school and college and navigating you know all the things that come with it so even though they weren't exactly afghan i think we had shared experiences and i think that comes down to how we relate and how we connect to folks is those shared similarities no matter how small or big if their wound you know hurts the same amount as my wound we find that similarity we kind of stick to each other that's that's really interesting so in you had these two amazing people around you and you still have them around you and even though i would say like i i noticed that you you mentioned them being there and they're great you talked like about them being like the therapist like friends often play that role for us, right? Just help us keep our sanity as we're going through it all. Give us the validation sometimes. And and sometimes just give us the feedback and the criticism that we're prepared to accept, you know, from them. And they, they give us that kindness. They give us that, that warm feeling when we're cold or that, you know, that feeling that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spite of having that, though, you would still say, would you still say that you were still trending on this path of, still changing yourself from not being Afghan where you still you're still doing that in spite of having the friends who were there to kind of tell you it's okay you're great you're you know you're loved you're welcomed you still felt that need to I don't know what the right way to say it is but still you know kind of evolve yourselves mm-hmm. right into 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 not being what you you knew you were even then is that, is that fair to say? And you were still doing it. Well, so why why were you still that? Why were you still doing that? Survival. It's I, okay. and I keep going back to it because I think it, it it has I think shaped and molded so many of my life decisions. But I think one of the biggest drivers was a just being Afghan, not having a college degree, and then I think post nine eleven created a lot of things. So. I definitely think hit a lot of my identity. I mean, even my name, it's still something that I'm correcting. Even like my two good girlfriends, it's I Americanized so many things. I masked so many things only because I was trying to fit in. Back then, let's say 15, 10 years ago, social norms, professional norms were so different. We were cookie cutter. I work in HR. So automatically there was, you know, no tattoos. You couldn't have piercings. There was all these dress code requirements. And I had to make a living. I'm one of nine. I had to help my family. You know, my dad was the sole provider for our family and my mom was a stay-at-home wife. So you put all the responsibilities on my dad, who's literally working, you know, again, back then was, I would say, low-wage roles and low-wage jobs to make an income, not having a college himself, you know, supporting a family of 11. Um, I saw, I think, just the hardships that my dad faced, the cultural barriers, language barriers. I think even the degree requirement that till this day is just 
you know, it, it's still it's still a requirement. It's still some sort of paper ceiling that we all need uh, need to hit. But growing up, seeing his resilience, seeing that no matter how many times society or American culture knows kind of threw him at a curve, his strength for making sure that no matter what and making sure that he was providing for his family was so strong that he made everything just kind of seem like something to brush off his shoulder. And growing up, I wanted to do the same thing. It's, my dad was my hero, and he still is. I wanted to make sure that my dad was a working six jobs. I wanted to make sure he wasn't working 20... 20- you were actually this as a kid. I was. That's what I say. I think I had to grow up so fast that I was... I, that's why I didn't go to college. I was maybe 10 or 11 when I met these girlfriends that I was just like, my dad works hard. And they're like, yeah, my dad works hard. And my mom works hard. And we're like, well, we want to spend more time with our dad and mom. How do we make this work? And that's when we were like, we need to work. We need to make money. They're like, clearly, America, this is how you you survive. You, you have to. And so that's what I set out to do. I set out to get a job so that way I can give you know my paycheck part of it to my family. And that's what I did. I stopped. I didn't go to college. I started Americanizing my name. I started tailoring the way I talked. I when I would get tattoos. I mean, I think this is, you know, jumping forward. I think Opportunity Network, where I currently work, might be one of the few places that actually knows I have tattoos. All my previous roles before that, nobody really knew I had tattoos. I was long sleeve, you know, cookie cutter, button up, uh, very much wanted to fit the norms. But that's one of the. It was just survival moment. It's how do we survive? in a new culture where there's no book, nobody's helping you immerse yourself. There are no guides. Like you don't immigrate to America and there's some sort of like consultant that's like, hey, new family, you know, let's help you. And for me, that I think shaped everything for about two years ago where I was living with this mindset of I must fit in because if I don't stand out, no one's going to be able to point at me and say, hey, she, I wanted to blend in as much as I could, which I think goes back to my LinkedIn post of like, it just was too much for me at some point, but it's survival. I think most oh. immigrants who have parents that don't have a college degree, then you add all the different barriers, you know, being a person of color, being a certain ethnicity, identity, you you have so many challenges and you have to figure out the best way to survive. And for me, that was not really identifying as an Afghan woman. It was how can I fit in so I can get a job? And that's what I did. All right, so I'm going to flip a gear here because I think it, I wonder if it needs to be said also. And, and I hear this a lot because I mean, I, I, I come from, I come, I was born in another country. I moved here from Africa. And I, I would, I feel like as you tell the story, I'm like, I'm recalling similar sort of feelings, right? That I went through as well. And I also then got to a point where, you know, Muhammad was Mo and the, the same things. It was like, you know, Canadianizing is how I would say it, or Westernizing is how I used to say it, but it's almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then there kind of grew this, I, I don't want to, it's like this negative sort of sense towards Canada or towards America, where it's like, you know, you're changing me from who I am to who, who I kind of, you know, like there's this, there's this feeling. It's like this, you know, you, you force me to not be myself. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say, I, I think it needs to be said, I wonder that at least America you know, had a door open for your, your family to to come over here. Canada at least had a door open to say, hey, maybe we don't have the book out yet or the perfect consulting, you know, program or settlement program, 
but at least here's an opportunity, like here's a door and it's not easy necessarily or not fair, but certainly if it's that bad, then you didn't have to come here. Like you, you could have gone anywhere else and it would have been maybe even, you know, with like even less opportunity, at least a door was open. At least there was a country, at least there's a place that said, Hey, okay, you know what? We don't have it all figured out yet, but come here. And I think there's a little bit of, you know, I mean, and I find America and Canada certainly to be one of those kind of places where you can come. And yeah, there's always going to be everywhere I feel I go. I mean, even when I go to other other countries around the world, there's this like this sublime pressure to to assimilate, right? I mean, we, we're, we're social creatures. We want to assimilate. So in that assimilation, we might change ourselves a little bit to fit in. That happens, I think, everywhere. But I think also here there's this opportunity that you find now that if you do want to change again, you want to be yourself, whatever that it means, you can be. And that you might get ostracized a little bit from different places, but you still can. Mm-hmm. You know, at least there's that like call it freedom. Do you do you do you feel that that exists at least to to set up the circumstances for you to after you said, I wait, wait. Let me let I wanna I wanna read. I want to change some things. At least it was that opportunity to change again, mm-hmm. to, you know, to to change who you are, to at least evolve and grow yourself. Yeah, I think for, in my instance, I do think I had that opportunity where I was able to almost like, you know, shed my moldings and emerge as like a new butterfly. I definitely, I think, had that. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say it was, like you said, very easy. There was, like you mentioned, those challenges of people not fully being able to grasp their head around this new new change or like this new alternate of like interacting and boundaries but i definitely did and i think it may not if i didn't have had that i don't think the transition would have been as easy because it did give me a stepping stone of like okay i feel comfortable enough where there's not a lot of you know chaos around this and i can slowly like an onion start peeling different layers yeah speaking of the butterfly i love that i love that sort of metaphor there but if it was too easy sometimes to change, we wouldn't have had to require that conviction level to make that change and to be sure that this is what I want for myself. So I also think that that sometimes also plays into, you know, helping us kind of solidify exactly what we want, exactly where we want to go, because we realize actually it's not that easy. Right. And, and and I want to get to that part now is like, you know, when you started realizing you, you said earlier on, like, I had enough, <laughs> you know, there's, there's just too much now, mm-hmm. you know, when you said too much, can you like elaborate? Like what was, what was too much? I mean, you're being accepted, you're getting the jobs, you're growing in your network, you, you're fitting in. How is that too much now? Like, what do you mean? Too much in the sense of the world was accepting me. I was getting jobs. I had yeah a great organization but it was getting too much because i was being accepted for someone i wasn't and when you live with that identity of having to be someone who you're not eventually you do hit this internal i think internal battle between yourself and who this new persona is and i that's what i i I literally hit that i think august of 2021 22 and again i think i credit most of it, it was when Afghanistan had the overturn, I saw personally people with my name, my family, my cousins, everyone I knew 
struggling with so much. And I was sitting here in my nine to five with my little latte, with my, you know, clear water. And I'm going, hmm, I wonder if people will accept me if they found out my name is pronounced differently. And I think when I thought of the way my challenges were and what challenges were back home for my family, I realized that they were doing so much to preserve themselves their homes, their culture, their names, their country, their their colors. And I did so much in a few years to erase all of that. And I think that's when I was like, no more. I'm not. My name has history behind it. There's a reason my, na- my parents named me who I am. There's a reason why my parents had us. And for me to come and be accepted for someone I'm not, I, that was too much. Just now I want to be accepted for who I am. I want people to understand I'm a child of immigrant. I want people to understand I'm from Afghanistan because then you get to understand me more and you get to understand all the things that make up of me. So yes, it was great that America or not not even just America, the world accepted me for who I am. But if it's not for who I am, it's not worth it. That's amazing. I, I just like, I, re- I know that same thought. And, and I think a lot of us have that, not just people who are immigrants, actually. I think sometimes it happens that maybe it's because whatever we, we see movies or shows and we say, Hey, that's beautiful or that's cool or that's in. And so I should be that, or I want that for me, but it has to start with that feeling that first of all, I'm not good enough. And where did that feeling come from? So we build up, right. And then ultimately you get to this point that there's this state of like, almost like, okay, I'm not surviving anymore. I'm not having to worry about survival anymore. And then you notice others, you point to that, who are like, who got it in some ways harder, but are not giving that up, mm-hmm. are not negotiating that. I call that life credit, by the way. Like if I were to title a book, it would be this, this is what you talk about. I think it's called life credit. It's not a currency. It's not money. It's, you know, it's a, it's who you are. It's the value. It has huge value, obviously, right? And then at some point in time, you're like, I'm not going to sell this for a job. I'm not going to exchange this, you know, like a currency. I'm not going to exchange this for a job. I'm not going to exchange this for friends. I'm not going to exchange this for whatever. I want this bang. <laughs> and, and the first thing that happens in any exchange is, well, to get that back, there's a risk now that you're going to have to give something up. And what were the thoughts in your mind like you were thinking about this now and your your mind is way more like you know sophisticated and you know if you make these moves you may lose certain things right you may have to give up some what were those things as you were making these calculations that you might stand to lose or have to exchange everything what no Come on, you really thought you were going to lose everything? Like, define everything. Come on, I just, I, I, I appreciate the detail. It's, when I say everything, I mean, you really, you really do become a new person. I had to, and I think when I was like, okay, I'm going to emerge as, you know, this new butterfly. I, I don't think losing was on top of my mind. I think what I was more focused was what I would gain from it. And I think that just wow. came from, I had such a great support system that no matter, again, no matter how many times, I had different colors, they accepted me. And so I understood that those people that are going to be in my life, regardless of who I am, how I identify, how many times I evolve, were continuously going to be there with or without their 
you know, constructive criticism on how I evolved. But I wasn't afraid of to lose because Mohammed, I've lost so much. You know, I've lost opportunities because I don't have a college degree. I've lost friends and family or even I would say like even just neighbors or people that I interact with the moment they have to either A say my name correctly or find out where I'm from or like just all of that when you lose so much you're just no longer afraid. So when I was emerging with my new self, I was like, hey, this is just another thing I get to do in my life at this point in time. And it this point of time still doesn't define what I'm going to do or set up the rest of my life. But I was very excited actually, Mohammed, to just be who I am because I was not afraid of my surrounding and the people in it. So, so there's two things that really stand out there that you talk about. And it's something that I would call it like you felt like your essence was not really actually changing. Your essence is actually now becoming like more realized. Yes. And, and you and you, your essence, you yourself, was already loved and appreciated by these others who were confirming that, hey, whatever, yeah. I don't care, like the sh- color of your shirt, uh, the the your set, the sound of your voice, or mm-hmm. whatever that 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 you you realize that. And then the other thing is that you mentioned that I think is really amazing is that you realize not only you weren't focused on what you would stand to to lose, but what you would stand to gain. But you also noticed that you might lose anyway. <laughs> you might lose this. You might lose that. Regardless. You had lost so much. You had lost so much, like you said, in the process of evolving to this stage that now evolving to the next sort of chapter, you're like, well, you know, there are going to be losses either way. Mm-hmm. And you you did, you did made those calculations. And so when you first started making this, you know, like you said, you have it down to the month and the year and maybe even the date, right? That was like, you were like, I could, starting now. <laughs> like, you know, like, was there an order in which you were like, okay, this is what I'm going to do first and then second and third? Or did you just kind of like shotgun? I was, I opened up everything. I was like, let's just do it all at once. No, I think I did everything at once. So one thing that I definitely say was, I think the starting tip was my name. I started out with that because I think that gave a common ground of like, oh, this is a change. It, my name is something that everyone says, whether I'm working, you know, shopping. And I think for me, having that first instant of this is my boundary, we're going to start with the one common thing that we say so repetitively throughout the day that anything I add to it, for me in my head at that time, it'd be easy. So name was the first thing. And then anything after it was just kind of, oh, okay. And people started to get the hang of it because the name is so repetitive that by the time six or seven times, they're like, okay, what's next? Well, what else can we try now? Oh, wait, wait. It wasn't always... Like, what was it? And what did you make it then? Like, or what? And then what did you make it back to? My authentic Abgan pronunciation of my name is Izaba, which is, yeah. I understand it's a challenging name. The accents do not carry over to the American, you know, alphabet. But my entire life, I think from the moment we immigrated from the States to about three years ago, Muhammad, it was Izaba. And it was simple, you know, people could say it, but that again, it was. I altered it because it was easy and I'm not spending again. What's your name? Isabel. Say it again. You know, this whole like little dance we tend to do. And I started with that. And once I, and I think one of the main reasons uh, to, to give some background of why I started with many was it was the easiest thing to change. I, I, that dance was uncomfortable for me because then that meant that I had to unravel. Where are you from? What, where's the heritage behind? And I didn't want to. But now I was comfortable right. and I wanted people. So I would say it's Isabel. And then it would be, where are you from? You know, what's the, 
What does your name mean? And I was able to uncover those different pieces of me. Then what? So after the name? Oh, I was full on blown. I started teaching my, I have, I'm a mom of three girls. So I'm raising, you know, the next generation. So starting with them understanding their culture, where there were certain events like Eid, I would post in our company, you know, channel like, hey, I'm celebrating it. I started taking PTO. So I started doing, I think, more things that weren't behind the scene or that were still hidden from family and friends. I was able to now fully celebrate who I was, my culture, all of it openly. And I was sharing it with everyone. Again, with the caveat of, of I, I may lose colleagues and coworkers depending on how they feel or you know what their relationship is, but I was okay. And so it was learning. Then it was the culture, watching the movie, relearning the language, the foods. I mean, I was pretty much reborn all over again. Exciting. Yes, it, it is. So I got to ask you this then, because when, when we first go through this, again, uh, I, the, the reason I spent time thinking and, and talking through this with you is because, again, I think a lot of us, we go through this, but where you continued, a lot of people stop. And we stop because of the, let's call it fear of the unknown, of fear of loss. And, you know, like, again, because we remember that we were in that survival mode back then, we don't want to go back to that. And what if it ends up there again? I, I don't know. I think that that's, re that's a real feeling. And But then somebody like yourself goes, ah, you know what, but look at all there is to gain if we don't go mm -hmm. uh, in this direction. Uh, and I love that you said it that way. So now you go, you start making the move. I got to ask you, you know, those those things that, that were you never you never worried about the loss, of course, mm -hmm. but were there losses? Were there moments where people you felt or opportunities that now, oh, no, they're not you. Did you feel, did that actually happen? And to what degree did it happen? Ooh, it, I think to a different, I think, avenues is when you, and it's a, you know, whether it could be, it's a sensitive topic or not. And I've, I've known that not everyone's open to having these type of conversations, but I did lose, you know, friends, neighbors, even on social media, on like LinkedIn, what, despite gaining, I did lose. And I think that comes to my identity and just where I'm from. We haven't had the best relationship, I want to say, in the news and in the world. So there are some folks who are really tied down to how they truly feel about Afghans and just Muslims in general. Um, so putting that on LinkedIn, you know, I was a little nervous. I'm like, oh, you know, I work in HR. I have a lot of great, for example, great networks I'm able to leverage and losing those. But for me, I was okay. And I said that, Mohammed, because one of the biggest drivers for not only making this movement is I worked in DNI. So my whole job in organizations is to sit and help organizations become more diverse, more inclusive, train folks. And I got tired of doing that. And I got tired, Mohammed, because I was fighting for everyone, but no one was fighting for me. I wasn't sitting at a table with another Afghan woman. I wasn't sitting at, you know, in an organization with a CEO that was Afghan. And I think that was one of the things of like, I'm not losing anymore. I I've gained so much because people have this idea of I'm an American woman and my name is Izaba and I work in DNI. But what they didn't see is that I was not only fighting for DNI for everyone, but also for myself. It's, you know, and I'm going to be selfish here. Afghans are rarely ever CEOs, board of directors, or at least to my knowledge that I've seen on LinkedIn. And I wanted to be that change. And I think that's why I went to as far as I did, Mohammed, is 
I don't have representation and and it's okay if I don't, but I'm going to become my own representation and I will become someone's representation. Let's say in five, 10 years, someone's going to enter the workforce who may or may not have tattoos, who may be Afghan, who may or may not have different colored hair and may stumble across the LinkedIn post and be comfortable and being able to make that change even five, 10, 20 years into the future. I think that's what motivated me. It's outside of losing people. Like you mentioned, there's so many more things to gain is I want to, and I will continue selfishly advocate and become a role model for Afghans and Afghan women because I didn't have that and I want people to have it. And I especially want my children growing up to have that 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 role model or just that person who's breaking barriers, who's making something, who's making it known that we can do it. We're women, we're Afghans, we don't have college degrees, we may speak different languages, our names may be hard. But we can get the job done at the end of the day. And who we are does not define how or what we're able to do. Wow, I, I love it. Thank you for like as walking us through that with with all that like thought. Now for the other side of it, and I think I think we can't appreciate the gains until we've also talked about like the costs. You know, a lot of times this is it. Like people talk about oh, like that that moment of the triumph, but I really think it's I think to really appreciate where you're coming from and what you've had to go through, got, I think you got to understand the costs or the risks that people like you face. And when you're involved in, you know, being a change agent and you're not just doing it for you. Yeah, you can say you're being selfish, but if you are doing it for you, honestly, it's like sometimes, you know, it's, you give up a lot sooner. Uh, and sometimes I feel like when you're doing this for others, it's like, no, you know what? Like there's this like, I don't know what it is, but it just keeps, it gets, there's this momentum, right? That, that you feel like you're building. And so now you start doing this and you start noticing probably this momentum. There's some positive things that happen. Maybe you anticipated, maybe you didn't. What were those things? What were the things that sort of, now let's call them the gains that you looked at and you're like, huh, here's a confirmation. And then it's like, again, a, an, a reinforcer. I'm, I'm on the right track. What kind of gave you that sense that, I'm gaining here. With the LinkedIn post or just with everything? Yeah, just with, with everything generally. Because I, I find that it's all related, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you, if we don't feel like we're making some kind of progress, if we don't feel like there is some advancement, some return, you know, then there's no confirmation that we're doing the right thing sometimes. So mm -hmm. what were the things that as you did? Yeah, you noticed like maybe neighbors, opportunities, this and that kind of going the other way. But what started coming your way that you were like, yeah, I'm on the right track? What were the confirmations that you got? Oh, those are good. Those are really good questions. I want to say that's definitely the tangible stuff. When I think about the transition and growth from like these challenging moments and like how it changed, you know, just not only my life, but like personal and career and advocacy. But I see that it a made, you know, a positive mindset, not just for me, but for everyone around us. It's like being able to make that change one at a time. I think people were catching on of like, Oh, it just takes one person. That's all you need. Just one person. Um, I think about a commitment of just learning. I think not only in the DNI work, but just kind of this accepting people for who we are. It prompted a lot of people around me, whether that it's again at work or personal, of like wanting to learn about not only themselves, but other cultures and why people do the things they do to really truly understand humans as humans. 
also I think just for myself, there was a greater sense of like fulfillment and purpose. And I think that's something I gain is like you mentioned, when you're in survival skill, you're always thinking about what could go wrong, what could go wrong. But now I was, what could go right? And I was able to kind of gain a positive mindset, you know, and being able to really be more honed in on what I want to achieve and being more clear about that. And gaining it was just, you know, outside of friends, families, I think there was a, the common thing was a newfound love of understanding. And I think that's the biggest thing I could have gained from here. Something that I wasn't expecting would come from this is just being able to understand humans as humans. We all have different experiences. We all have different challenges. And that doesn't mean that my life is right and your life is wrong. It just means we had different options, different avenues, and we chose to do different things. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things I could have gained because it puts everything all together is now I'm able to see you, Muhammad, as Muhammad. I'm not seeing you as somebody who is doing this podcast and you're doing this you know, because you have to, but it's because you may enjoy it. And that I think humanizes us and it just creates a better world for everyone. You know what? You, you I, I, like, like again. I don't think that there's a wrong or right answer. I just I love to hear what those different sort of experiences look and sound and feel like. And you know, sometimes you know, someone wonders like, what's the gain? And you know what? The fact that you just did it. <laughs> the, you know, I set out to do this. I said I was going to do it, and then I did it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what everyone else thought or what everyone else gave me back. I did it. Mm-hmm. That's also to me a huge win that you you said you're going to do it and then you did. And that's and you weren't taking away from someone else or anything like that. It you may call it selfish, but you said you're going to do something and you did it. That's big in and of itself as far as I'm concerned. You know that you said and this is not like anything else. Hey, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go, you know, do a kilometer jog or whatever it is. Those are the things that are important things. This is like it's very personal. It's it's very challenging to do, and you went ahead and you did it. Did you find that sometimes people along the way said to you, "Hey, I didn't know you were feeling this. I didn't know you were thinking this. Really, that's important to you. Sure, okay, we're in." Did you get any of that? One thousand percent, and I I got it from all different angles. Again, friends, family, work. They, oh, I, it was the same thing you said, Muhammad. Like I didn't know this was important to you, or like you've never mentioned <laughs> it. You should have said something earlier. I'm like, well, if I was comfortable. I would have, but I wasn't. I, but it's funny to just see, the, you know, those questions people get up. Like, they truly not were clueless. I think they just were so in the dark that even now, I think, you know, a good example is is my personality. My And I'm using my family because my family's known me in my entire life. And my mom and dad and siblings have known me truly as an extreme introvert of, like, I'm very, you know, you, yes, me. I know. Okay. You know, when I was in my in my little cocoon. I, I totally see. I totally see. I was just a quiet girl. I was very organized, cookie cutter. There was like I was just like my way to highway. And then when I was like, mm, yeah, no longer we're not doing this. Even now, my parents are like, who are you? Or my siblings, when I go out in public, wow. they would not necessarily get embarrassed, but I'll do stuff that I think they're not used to me doing. Like if there's music. I'll dance with it. You know, I'll grab my daughters, I'll twirl them. And for them, that's like, oh, that's embarrassing. You're dancing in public. It's because they're not used to it. And I think, again, it, it still is. Even when you uncover yourself, when you become your true self, you're still going to have to hold hands with those around you because they may not know this part of you. And you may have hit it so well for so long that you may yourself be like, oh, wait, 
I do actually enjoy this. And you're still trying to understand what that means to you. But I still just laugh because even now till this day, Muhammad, I still get questions or still these little comments sure. from especially siblings and parents of like, oh, or again, even when I speak my native tongue, my mom was like, since when did you want to start speaking this? I'm like, you're right, mom. I don't know. Two years ago. Man, this is fabulous. And I, I feel so fortunate that we're speaking to you at this time where it's it's just, I would say, I mean, it's two years. It's still some time that's gone by, but it's, it feels like it's just the beginning. And and there's so much more to like look forward to as far as the developments, not just for yourself personally, but for all the things that you're part of doing, whether it's in, in the workplace or culturally for Afghans, for women. And, and I, you know, on that point, I was just, Sometimes I even had to question myself along the way going, wait a second, when they ask you like, why did you say this earlier? I'm thinking, wait, was this all in my head? Did this just all happen in my head? Did I imagine people not wanting to say my name properly or having an issue with me because I'm not from here? I don't sound like this or I don't look like that. Was that all in my head? No, hold on a second. That was real. So if that was real, how could they possibly be saying we didn't know? Like that that's so important to you. And and you use the word clueless earlier on to to talk about like how how sometimes it feels. Uh, yet when I talk to others who who I think are actually truly in, in, in their heart of hearts, they're advocates, they're supporters, or they may not seem right away to be supporters, but they are supporters, like you said, of the of a human experience of celebrating our diversities. And they don't have to come from like a foreign background. You know, they're human like everybody else right here in America, right here in Canada. And they're huge supporters. And they're like, yeah, speak up and say something. And my response, or sometimes I feel like a response is like, you might have felt like, where is the platform? (laughs) So, you know, like nobody said, I think, I think nobody offered you a microphone Mm -hmm. and said, go on, speak. Right. Yeah. And 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 you took that kind of had to almost like reach for that microphone and had to be like, I, I got something to say. <laughs> this is how I can pronounce my name. OK. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you weren't that sort of like confrontational about it, obviously. But and, you know, you had to be so careful. I was thinking about this earlier when you said you're in HR. That gives you an advantage. But that also sometimes can be like uh, the opposite pressure because you're in HR. You stand a you're supposed to be a certain way and you talked about previous call it policies and procedures let's just call them or decorums or codes right that are not necessarily written in law but are there either through constitutionally written or conventionally never spoken but this is kind of like how it is right and then you had to you had to probably look at that and go yeah well what if i cross or i seek to cross that line you know it could be the the end of this and now you're here you're starting to feel like the thriving moments are coming because look you you sound like you're you're really enjoying this and good for you like you should be enjoying it so i feel like you're doing it great that's really why i wanted you to come on and talk about this experience because there's so much to look forward to there are so many good moments for those that are waiting there right now not sure whether they should or shouldn't you know and 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 we haven't even talked about the tattoo yet, the headshot. I'm thinking, well, wait, so so at what point in time did you then start like, okay, so now I'm going to push it a little further, right? Like, now I'm going to pick this, not fight, but I'm going to focus on this now. And you're really 
like I, I love be the change like that that sort of like way but there's something uh, like a saying or this favorite to me it says you know what you seek seeks you mm. right and you went out there and you started doing all this and now you feel like a little bit stronger a little bit more empowered yeah. i mean do you do you at least feel it i do i i i think i feel i still have just stronger i think i feel free and i think that is the driving force of like why i was like i'm gonna push this even further i'm gonna just show the tattoos because i want to be free it's we were i mean for me it's you know there were so many changes that happened it's pandemic happened we were working you know in our little four corners of our homes we were sitting typing in our little like macbooks or whatever and i just wanted to be free and i realized that part of it you know going back to the work i did is as i continued to do dni work i started to learn more and i think that was the biggest piece of i truly understood what are norms what are laws what are policies and what is the difference once i started knowing that i was like oh so it's not illegal to have tattoos oh so it's it is illegal to fire me because i have tattoos once i was able to make those connections i realized that what i was doing in my work was based on what someone's social norms were and that's what they wanted everyone right social norms is a collective mindset of what most folks in the organization believe once i started doing that i was like oh this is no brainer so you can't you know and i think it's this mindset of like a lot of organizations especially in the workplace put this bad rep of you have tattoos you can't do the job you can't fired. and there is that fear of just repercussion you know getting fired and that's when i was like you can't even find me for tattoos like i am gonna show it now so you know here's the part that i think is that's so interesting about you specifically is that you know if you were to go to back to afghanistan mm -hmm. there's social norms there mm -hmm. that are you know go against even laws mm -hmm. of the country itself and they consider to be social norms and i mean I understand a little bit. I understand about the laws of Islam a little bit as well, right? So, you know, when you go there and it's a, you know, a country that has, okay, these are our laws, this is what they're based on, and here are social norms. I mean, my gosh, what would you be like if you went back there, okay, to Afghanistan? And when I say back there, I meant back to Afghanistan, not behind, but, you know, back yeah. to your return to Afghanistan. And you start to think, do you, do you, have you ever thought about that? Because now, enter tattoos now forget about the workplace that's not a social norm amongst maybe afghan women mm -hmm. right yeah. so now you fought this battle here to try and bring afghan women you know heat to, to forward and now you're going here and maybe there are even afghan women who are looking at you going mm -hmm. what are you doing yeah. what's with the tattoos you know so you're facing it either way and I honestly think that that can be sometimes a position where you can really feel alone because you're like, what? Wait, <laughs> I'm doing this for, wait, you know, I thought, okay, hey, I represented, I'm just doing this for all of us. Yes. Wait, what do you mean? I thought we were on the same side. Do you feel sometimes that the ones you're standing beside for are looking at you going, what are you doing? Some of them. And I think that's one of the things we talked about, those losses, right? What are those big things I lost? And I think that's when I mentioned some, you know, friends, family, neighbors is, you can't it, it is a difficult place and it is a tricky place because on the one side i have lots of women who are all for like and it does have to be well if we're speaking relatively just for abdomen it's saying hey this is not what we do we do not have tattoos and 
we don't wear short sleeve. And I think that's when I really have to educate on the difference between religion and culture, because religiously, there might be different norms. Culturally, there might be. But those two, when you put those two, you start creating this like fine line of like, this is what we must do versus tell me why. And I think that's a lot of where I've had a lot of education on is even my family, you know, there's this, like my mom, she's strict African woman from Kabul. She's like, we don't do tattoos. Like, how you know, it goes against what they believe in. But there are some parts, for example, in certain villages in Afghanistan where tattoos are allowed. Now, they're not like, you know, the tattoos I have, for example, but there's facial tattoos that represents part of, you know, their villages, part of like their norms. And that's okay. So I always try to uncover up like, so why is the face okay? but the arms are not. And guaranteed, yes, there are differences. There's those like cultural tattoos you get. And then this is like a picture of like a flower, which is really tied in. But it goes back to of like understanding different norms in different places in different areas like American Afghans and different cultural norms. Where are you able to maximize, I think, the most for women? And I think that's where my fight is. is great, I'm an Afghan woman now with tattoos. And now I have Afghan women who are like, we do not do that. Then I try to focus on that positive. Okay, the tattoos, I get it. I could throw in a long sleep. But look, we're now on a pedestal. People understand us. They they hear from us. It's really changing it positively. Is I know I'm not the ideal image for Afghans or Muslims. I know I'm not the ideal image when people think about an Afghan woman. But I think that's what I'm trying to break is there is no ideal image for an Afghan woman. There is no ideal image for a Muslim woman. This is the ideal image for me. And that's all we're going to talk about. It, it's me. It's you can have your preferences, but that's your preferences. And someone's opinion is not a fact. And that's what I live with is the great opinion. And thank you for sharing it. And I'll share mine and we can agree or disagree. But at the end of the day, there has to be a common respect of allowing each other to just express each- ourselves. So well said. Thank you. I mean, they, and you're saying you didn't, you didn't have a college degree and you don't have all these things. Like, look at the proof. Look at how. I find when there is, to me, when there is true passion and a and a true, like a sincere intent to just discover and to experience, I mean, you're putting it so eloquently and look, I can't just, I'm trying to imagine the challenges you would have had to sit where you're sitting, where some sometimes, you know, somebody looks at you and goes, wait, you're an HR? Yeah. What's your qualification? You know, they can write, bring that back at you so fast and yet you can stand back up there and go, hey, listen, this is what this is and like it didn't happen overnight you had to go through a lot years and years for all of a sudden at that moment august 20 what was it 21 or 22 21 20 you're looking at a calendar did you actually have it marked somewhere <laughs> and i just have my calendar right and i just remember to look i was like maybe you have that i don't know maybe you, you put it in a frame or something like this was the day <laughs> oh, well, what's wrong with that i mean if you did it i'd be like yeah cool that would be great in fact, I think when your book comes out, you know, you should have like a little one deck. Suggesting, <laughs> but but honestly, like you know, when when we look at it, I find that when you when you tell about your experience, and it's not just this. This is why I'm so glad that we're talking about it. Is that you're not just doing it for you. You yeah, you're doing it primarily because you're like, listen, hey, whatever. Everybody else has got their way. Uh, this is just. This is just what I went through. This is just what I'm thinking. I'm not gonna tell you. you Got to agree with me or disagree. Um, certainly now going back to that moment when you had gone ahead and made that post and he's like, that's it. I'm just putting it out. And then the next morning, okay. So (laughs) this is how I got connected with you because I was like, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) Somebody stood up and said, 
Yeah. And you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to include this now in my headshot. And then all the people who didn't think, are you a woman? Are you Afghan? Are you an immigrant? Are you all of these other sort of labels? They just zoned in on that and said, they didn't, I don't even think that they were about whether you have a tattoo or not. I think they were just about like, yeah, be yourself. But tell me, like, what were the things that then happened after that? Like, when people are coming back at you the next morning or the next week, because it didn't stop over a day. It, oh, honestly, Baha'i. You felt like you started a movement, honestly. It, it, it did. If you, honestly. if you go on LinkedIn and you look at the hashtag tattooed professional, it is a, a movement where a lot of folks, to backtrace, yes. So I made the post. I had attended like an on site conference. It was time for new headshots. And, you know, at that time when I started my role with this current organization, I. I think I was, uh, I had a previous supervisor who had tattoos as well, and then he ended up leaving. So I was the only HR professional. And so when I started recruiting other team members, they all came from organizations where it was the same thing. They had to mask who they were. So they came in here and I was tattooed that I was like, let's just be ourselves. Like, as long as we get the job done, like, that's it. We're all trying to survive in this world. We're all going to the pant. The world is, you know, so many things. Let's just do the one thing we have control over. It's how we do our job. And I took the headshot, like you mentioned, went to bed, woke up, oh, like 100, 200, and like, oh, okay. And it kept blowing up every day, Muhammad. I think every day I would get up by the second, like, my work colleagues were like, I think marketing at one point was like, you know, org wide, they're like, something's happening. Is there a promotion going on? Like, we're getting a lot of traffic. Like, what's going on? And yeah. and I was like, oh, just uh, just, just, just me. At the-. I was like, I think my headshot blew, but I even had to write think because that idea of like, boom. I think was a little too much, but uh, there was a combination of a lot of things, Muhammad. One thing that stuck out to me the most, like you mentioned, was despite having so much on that headshot, and it focused on a lot, right? I didn't just put just tattoos. It focused on my pink hair, me being an immigrant, not having a college degree, being a woman from Afghanistan, and tattoos. What struck me was, yeah, I had so much. What struck me was so many people were focused on tattoos. This tattoos still till this day even despite all the different distractions i want to say a lot of folks were generally really concerned about the fact that i had shot had tattoos and a lot of people and there was mixed i had a lot of positives that were like yes i want to do this you know all for you thank you for you know creating a platform but there was equally the same amount of folks that were mind you it's linkedin it's a public place People legit would write, I would never hire you. You look like insert a curse word here or bad word here or like, you know, just like the meanest things you could think about. But again, me being positive, so many people instead were like, I want to do this. So now when you go to LinkedIn and you look up the hashtag tattooed professional, a lot of people actually, Muhammad, went and re-uploaded their headshots to show their dads, to show their pink hairs. That's That's what I noticed. It yes. was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think I was sitting and just like, even now I'm still trying to catch up with like my inbox, but I think that to me was like, I did it. Wow. I did it. And it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to, but what made me sad was how many people were trying to do that. How many people were struggling yes. with identity and just being tattoos. But I think I also noticed a trend of the system, the systems in place, specifically in America and how that's been used for and used against certain populations and seeing, I think, 
that common theme throughout my post. I think even I think ignited that fire of like there's still systematic issues that we need to think about that we need to rip and make that barrier. But this is the beginning. Um, but I did enjoy. I mean, the people that reached out. I had so many people like just reach out and share their stories of. I even so like I'm still not comfortable, but your post made me happy, and I hope one day or like you know I'm gonna sit and sleep on it, and I hope that in two or three months I find that confidence. It, it's just the fact that I think the tattoos was the common thing because it's been historically had such such a bad rep that it was the first time that, like you mentioned, on a professional setting, we have somebody that's, I would say, kind of like cleansing it of like, all right, it's time to put it, you know, try to make room for some authenticity in here. Well, it's growth. I think it's growth. And and like in, in many areas or many platforms or field. I, I think it's great that LinkedIn and places like LinkedIn, there's that opportunity to just go ahead and do it. It your your post wasn't censored, for example. It wasn't taken down. The things like that can happen uh, in, in, in platforms that are out there and we know that they do, but yours didn't. And so, you know, you while you were being bold, you were being tactful. You were being respectful. And I think those are like key elements for being able to get a message out there, right? And you, you, you crossed some lines, but you didn't cross other lines. And I think that was very wise of you. That was, that was, that was brilliant. And, you know, that's the part where I thought I, I didn't just observe you and what you were doing. What I noticed was the ripple. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you, you, didn't, you didn't see that coming. I'm sure of it. And when, <laughs> when that comes... And they're posting like, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to do this now. And people are like, and I started following like those people as well. I was like, wow, I wonder what their stories are going to evolve into as well. And you know what is funny? Like you didn't even see this coming. It was like, click. And he assented that one night, not knowing. Yeah. Really. I went to bed. Yeah. Just, you think again of it. You, you look, you know, the next morning, like you're not excited. Like, I wonder if I got the job. You know, you're thinking. I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to make my coffee or whatever, drink my latte. And and here it is. The world is changing. Mm-hmm. And that's the amazing part is that you don't necessarily give yourself, I would say, credit that, yeah, I went to sleep with the intent of changing the world. But you did. You did have the intent. You did put in the hard work. You, you know, that people see the posts and what happens after that. But what I appreciate you sharing with us is all that happened before that moment that led to that moment. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people, I think, who, like you said yourself, who said, I don't quite feel like, I bet you when they look at you, I'll tell you what they say. I'll tell you what they're saying. They're saying, you know, look, you know, I'm not as strong as you are, A. They'll start, they'll say that. Two, they'll say, you know, I'm not in the position that you're in. Like, you are really, you know, you've got these advantages that I don't quite have. So they, they look at you and they're, they're holding back. But actually, you didn't necessarily have advantages. You're not, you didn't really see yourself as being in some position, right? What, what do you say to people? I mean, I know you, you're, you're of the opinion and the nature of like, listen, when you're ready, you know, <laughs> it's your life, whatever. But let's face it. Things need, if, you're, if you're about being the change, you want to see change. You want to see growth, not just for your for their own life, to have a better life for themselves, to finally live an authentic life. You want that for people, and they want that for themselves. They're sitting on the precipice. They're sitting right at the edge of it. And they're saying, I'm not yet, I don't feel like I'm as strong as you are. You know, what do you say to that? 
great question. I, I would give two answers. There's a two-part answer because it truly does come to the person. A, it's easier said than done, right, Mohammed? I mean, I could go like you might be like, let's relax to suit, but it's a lot harder. One I would say is, at least from my experience, what helped me was you need a great, and when I say great, I'm not saying 50 to 100. It could be two, it could be three, a great group of a support system. Because when you fail, and when you, and you will fail, I failed many times, you're going to, people's words hurt at the end of the day. So even though I'm strong, and even though I was able to do this, at the end of the day, the worst people said still hurt. People were attacking me, my family, my head. I mean, youth, people are just rude. But what helped me was I had a great group of support systems. So when I would get depressed or I would want to quit, I had my two girlfriends. I had my husband. Like, well, you had these ex- experience of depression and de- being depressed about it and wanting to quit. One thousand percent. I mean, you go from, you you think but that by now I have heard everything I have heard and that everyone has said, but there's it, it shocks and boggles my mind what new things people come up with every day. But I did. And it still hurts. It still hurts. Yeah. It's, it's, we're human. Words hurt. I don't care what anyone says. You could have the toughest barrier, but someone's going to say one thing that's going to trigger something you've been hiding or trigger a past experience that reignites it. But you need a group of support system. You need people who, when you want to quit or when you do quit, help you climb back up, who understand who you are, who can help build that up. If I didn't have that, I would have probably took the LinkedIn post down, probably quit my job, moved to like someplace else. Right. There's, you cannot, and you can, but for me, you can't do it alone. You need people to hold your hand because it's not, it's not easy. The second piece I'd say is outside of just a group of networks, start small. That's what I did. I didn't just create the LinkedIn post. It was like, great, I'm going to just open this. I started internally. I started with friends. I started with family. I started with coworkers. Then with different networks. Then I started with like restaurants. I started with my name. You have to get, in order to get comfortable, you have to get uncomfortable. And that's what you have to do. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable or else you're not going to go anywhere. That would be my two things. It's, I didn't do it alone. I didn't have privileges. I didn't wake up and like, you know, was a CEO. I was like, oh, okay, I have like 500 people that would approve this. It's, I knew that if I failed or when the words came, I would have people to be like, no. I mean, even if you notice on, some of the posts, I had friends and coworkers that would respond to people's mean posts. So I wasn't fighting this fight alone. And that's what's important to remember. At the end of the day, you may feel alone, but as long as you're not fighting it alone, it makes a huge difference. I want to ask you what you're working on next, but I'm not going to do that. I, I, I know that in order for you to be successful at what you're doing, you have to you have to have, like you said, your plan. You have to have your discretion. And then you got to go about it, you know, the way you're going. And I'm sure you're working on something next. See. <laughs> so I see like a, I see another episode coming in a little while. I'm gonna look you up and I'll be like, hey, so how did that go? But you know, for now I just want to just say just so much like so much thanks to you. A for you know, for doing what you did. You know, when you went around and when you were facing this all, you weren't doing it for the thanks. You were just like you said, you were just tired. <laughs> you know, that's how how the position was where you started from. And then you mustered up the the willpower to go and do this and not that you need congratulations or kudos but to you to your family to your friends to your whole you know your whole group because you like you said you didn't you you didn't do this alone but then also you didn't try to do this alone 
sometimes people try to do it alone. They don't allow others into that space, right? They feel like it's their personal fight. <clears throat> Whereas, you know, you if you you were you were you're allowing others to come on come come into the space. And sometimes even your biggest supporters sometimes will say things that you're like, listen, I don't need to hear this right now. I need you to tell me that I'm right. My mom and dad. Uh, you know, they're there. <laughs> yeah. Great examples. You know, where would we be without them, you know? But just thank you, A, for for doing it. And then thank you for for, for joining us today. And we would try and we, we went back, we would try to connect, and it was so worth it the way to to have you come on and to to share your to share your experience and really to inspire me and inspire so many of us that are really sitting sometimes there at the edge of should I, shouldn't I mm-hmm. and and work on our identities and continue to evolve and live that sort of the genuine, that authentic life. So just thank you. So no, thank you. And uh, again, thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, you know, I've had so many, I think I've been very pl- privileged and just very happy with the opportunities I've gotten to share my story. But I've been, I think, very nitpicky out of who I definitely want to share my story with, you know, folks like you who have a genuine interest, who are willing to sit and really understand not just what happened, but how it happened and where we got there, because that's, I think, just so important in people's stories. So really appreciate you, Mahal, and the team for taking the time to just learn a little bit about me. I hope that, you know, there's some words of wisdom in what I've shared. And I just hope that with this, you know, and the message people get out is don't try to do it alone. If you do have a support system and that especially women, especially women of color, um, we have opportunities if someone like you, Muhammad, is willing to give us that platform or microphone to share it. So just thank you for giving this opportunity to me.